This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. I've learned in the last few years that you cannot always, you can't change a person, right? So I have learned to adapt myself around, around the people that don't necessarily see it my way to let them understand that there are multiple ways to do things. And just if you, if you try this, or if we take your idea and my idea and try to come to some agreement of what that hybrid idea may look like, it, it's, it's gotten me a lot further than, um, than, than you know, just kind of putting my foot down and saying, hey, I want to do this. Hello everyone, welcome back to Where East Meets West, a collaboration between America Meditating Radio and Iplog. It's been so heartwarming to speak to some of these incredible individuals who are offering us their expertise, their gifts, their talents, their lives. In so many ways, they're doing a lot of incredible work out there and we need to hear about it. Right now, the ability to balance out two cultures that are like so opposite in the way they see things. Imagine when those two cultures come together, the incredible world that can be created. As you all know by now, I'm half African and half Indian, and that gives me quite an interesting way of looking at the world. And I always want to find a way in how can we bring each other together? How do we bring everyone together to benefit and share in this wonderful golden opportunity? So let's see. My special guest today is none other than Viraj Gandhi, who is the CEO of Paradigm Management Inc. Since founding the company in 2003, Viraj has been responsible for leading the company's strategy, culture and growth. In the firm's 17 years of business, Paradigm continues to celebrate remarkable growth as recognized by several local awards for the largest minority-owned companies, largest government technology contractors, and most recently named on Inc. 5000's DC Metro Top Companies list. Isn't that great? Viraj has over 20 years of extensive experience in operational leadership in government and commercial markets, and he is an active member of the Executive Committee of the Young Presidents Organizations Washington, D.C., Baltimore chapter. In 2017, Viraj was recognized as a 40 under 40 honoree, which is an awards program presented by the Washington Business Journal. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Viraj Gandhi to where East meets West. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you for having me. You know, all these years I've known you, I didn't know you were so accomplished. I mean, you know why? You're so humble about it. I mean, you would come and visit me at the meditation museum or at the ashram and you just come in. And the only idea I thought there was something up with you was when I saw you drive in that BMW. Or was it the Mercedes? Mercedes. The Mercedes, that top of the line. And everybody out there who knows Sister Jenna knows I love me some good cars. <laughs> so when you brought me in that car and I was trying to be as decent as I could, because every time a brother gives me their sports car to drive, they end up going to the bathroom in the car <laughs> when I'm driving. <laughs> And so if you recall, I was very yogi, I was very sisterly, I was very decent, and I was like, this is a wonderful ride. I'm so happy, anyway. You know, I'm happy that happy to go to the bathroom in the car. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's been great. So thank you to um, joining us today. Viraj, you've really achieved a lot. You remind me of when I was in my 20s, and um, it wasn't until I think I was 25 I had my awakening and a lot of things shifted. But... 
between the ages of 16 to 23, there was just no stopping me. And you've known me for years, and you can even see in my spiritual um, sort of a setting, um, I'm also quite unstoppable, if you've noticed as well. So I still carry over that energy. But at 23, you were also driven. What was behind that drive in you just continuously progressing and moving forward? You know, I uh, I've grown up in uh, in a family of uh, of entrepreneurs, and uh, I went to Babson College, which was also uh, the number one entrepreneurship school um, in, in you know nationally and nationwide. So for me, it, it wasn't about um, you know the drive; it was just more about leadership. I was always kind of. Um, attracted to leadership positions, um, always wanted to do something where I can set my own culture. Um, so that's kind of where like the, um, you know, through high school and college, I was always involved with, with clubs and organizations. And for me, you know, being a member was one thing, but being able to stick my own DNA on something, uh, was always very, very important. So I always ended up trying to go after a, you know, the president position or an executive committee member position through high school and college. You know, when I was 23, I um, graduated college. I worked for a management consulting firm. I loved it. Um, but, you know, post 9-11, uh, the firm changed and the firm became very, um, you know, they, they looked at numbers more than they looked at people. And, and I just thought that I could do things differently. And, and I, I thought, why not try now? So that's, that's kind of where Paradigm Management was born. To be quite honest with you, I, I did not know that it was going to be 17 years later and here I am. Um, I, I really just thought that it was a good fit fit gap for, for what I really wanted to do. And, and I wanted to do something a little bit better than the place that I was at. So then tell me, who are some of the leaders that inspired you? Because sometimes there's somebody that we resonate with growing up and we're like, wow, I would love to, you know, I did, that's it, man, that's it. Who was the person that kept inspiring you to really move more into this leadership position? I would say my dad. You know, my dad um, was an entrepreneur and I, uh, I went to work with him all through, you know, elementary school, middle school, even high school. And just seeing the way he treated people, um, I, I think that is what I gravitated towards. And, I, you know, I think there's different types of leaders. And I, you know, my dad probably did not know it at the time because he was running a mom and pop's business, but he was a very collaborative leader. And I found it that when he came in to work, he, he said hello to everybody. He asked everybody about their days. Um, and then when he needed something, it was never a, hey, you need to go do this. It was a, hey, how can we get this done together? He was never afraid of rolling up his sleeves. So I think, you know, seeing that and, and obviously in high school, you know, you see the different types of leaders, whether it's teachers, administration, or even in student athletes. And uh, I, I, so I just look back at the, the examples that I've seen from my dad leading, even though he may not call it leading. Um, and that's really what's driven me to say, you know what, like if I have the opportunity to put my DNA on something and, and really, you know, make it my own, I want to be able to do that. But I don't want to do that, you know, standing alone like a dictatorship. I want to do it with the help of others. And, and in all the roles that I've been in and, and those that I've been really successful in, um, I am just I look at myself as a vehicle. Right. I am. I'm a vehicle, but I'm utilizing the people um, that working with me. To, to kind of help make my leadership uh, better and, and just more, more effective and more directional. 
touching. I wasn't expecting you to say your father. I was expecting you to say like Warren Buffet or Bill yeah. Gates or something like that. But in Indian culture, there are so many families that run mom and pop businesses. Uh, the pandemic has not helped a lot of the businesses in India that are ran like that. Right. But just on that level where sometimes the children are just not inspired to go and work with the father or to carry the father's legacy. And the fact that you did that, um, I think that's very powerful. But you were looking more at the way that he treated people. And in cultures like India and America just got up a very interesting cultural shift of uh, sort of a dictatorship. India is pretty much governed by a hierarchical system of respectocracy. You know, once you give me respect, then I'll give you a chance. Or it might be ran by who you know in order to get by. As you're looking at business in today's world, are you finding that that culture is changing? Is there really more of this inclusivity and invitational way of being together in a company? Because I'm seeing that America was really struggling um, just a few months ago with um, a leader that would be, you follow me, if you don't, you're out. And it was creating so much fear in people. And now there is a new leadership in America, which has the most Indians nominated in high powered positions. And you feel this collaboration and it's so beautiful. You know, from a company standpoint, I, I, you know, what I have seen, especially with the millennials and this new generation, I mean, I think we've all had to shift in the way we lead. I have always looked at leadership as a collaborative role in getting people to understand and think the way what's best for that entity. In, In my case, it's my company. I have not had to shift too much in terms of, you know, the, the world as it is now, because I think that collaborative way of leading, uh, you know, it, it, it speaks to the, the generation and the millennials that we're dealing with now. I, you know, from you, you asked about like an invitational piece. I think as, as I've gotten, I, I guess, more embedded in my company and as my company has grown, the organizations, the people that I, um, I network with, um, that's opened up. And I, 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 I hate to say it because I think leadership can happen at any level, but I think when you're leading um, five people, it's very different than when you're leading hundreds of people, right? So what I have seen personally for me is um, I, I just, you know, I'm attracted to those networks of, of companies that are led by, uh, by people that are leading hundreds and thousands of people. Um, it just, it's given me the perspective of how to come back and, and lead my own organization. So I don't know if that answers your question. It helps. And what are some of the things that you've been pulling from leaders that are running companies with 500, 1,000 or 10,000 people? What are some common denominators that you have pulled from their form of leadership? Yeah. So, you know, the one thing, and I've actually pulled this from not only other leaders, but I pulled this from my, my dad is, is really that essence of um, you have to sweat the small things and, and people want, they want it to be personalized, no matter how big or small your company is, right? People want to work for an organization that they really, really believe in, but that they trust. And then they want to trust the direction of the leadership. So, you know, for me, it's uh, I take one day a week uh, and I try to block out an afternoon and I, I write handwritten notes to, to my employees. Um, and I, I also do emails to my employees. So, um, and that's, they're not generic emails or generic notes. They're, they're things that I have, you know, I, I know about them or that I'll find out about them. And, you know, during the pandemic that has helped 
so much because people, they, they want to feel connected in any which way. And, you know, they don't want to feel like they're just getting a paycheck from Paradigm. They want they want to feel connected to the organization. So I would say that's my single most, um, I think, the quality that has kept me in this leadership role, that's kept me excited, is that um, touch or virtual touch and feel with the employees and making sure that from a culture standpoint, people feel like they're valued. It's very touching for me because I would work for you. <laughs> I like that. I like that hands-on, you know, Viraj, I love that where it's not just people in a number or you're that it's that how do you collaborate but also more than anything else and I'm going to ask you this big big question as much as you like to work with a lot of people and bring teams together and find everybody finding their their joy or their glory haven't you also found it quite difficult at times to work with people who don't match your vision and if so what have you done to help somehow mobilize them towards the vision or do you find that you basically have to ask them to leave because the vision is important to maintain. Yeah, so I, I think I can answer that on a couple different levels. Uh, you know, cultural fit for us is very, very important. So we recruit for cultural fit. And there have been times where you try to get people on the same bus or on the same, you know, train as you and it just doesn't work. And unfortunately, um, the best the best thing for both parties is to amicably separate because, you know, if they are not believing in the vision that we are going forward with, then, you know, the, the place just doesn't make sense for both parties. Right. And I always look at it as it's an amicable split. It's not us terminating you because really like, you know, our vision is not right to everybody. Right. People may think of doing things a little bit differently. So that's, that's one. The second piece is, you know, I have learned, uh, and, and you and I have talked about it. I mean, you you know, not everybody is going to view things the way uh, the way I view things, right? And so, people on my executive committee, you know, partners of mine, I mean, they have not always seen eye to eye with me. I look at things as there's there's um, a thousand ways to skin a cat. I mean, our, as long as our final vision and goal is is sort of matched, then I can continue to do business with you. But um, there are different ways of doing things. And I've had to um, not sacrifice values or anything like that, but I've had to sacrifice and, and concede on certain items because, you know, my partner may have a different view on certain things. Um, the good thing is, is from a morality and integrity standpoint, we've never had to uh, we've never had to look at that and say, hey, you know, we need to make a decision based on that. We were both ethically and morally the same. I've learned in the last few years that you cannot always, you can't change a person, right? So I have learned to adapt myself around, around the people that don't necessarily see it my way to let them understand that there are multiple ways to do things. And just if you, if you try this, or if we take your idea and my idea and try to come to some agreement of what that hybrid idea may look like, it, it's, it's gotten me a lot further than, um, than, than you know, just kind of putting my foot down and saying, hey, I want to do this. Sometimes putting your foot down just makes it easier. It's just that the energy in the office just gets really tense, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, um, what's your vision for Paradigm in another five years? I just heard that you got a new contract, uh, a $1 billion contract. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah. So when you get these, when you get these big contracts, and you already have other contracts that are out there, how do how do you manage it all? I mean, how does everybody juggle it in the company, and and how will that match also some of your future goals that you have for Paradigm? 
Yeah, so I've learned that delegating is obviously very, very important, right? So having a team sort of ready and not being reactive is how we deal with those things. So knowing that we bid on this and knowing that that win was hopefully going to come, I mean, we did a lot of preparation and it, it moves from the business development and growth phase of the company into the delivery phase of the company. So our delivery folks, including recruiting and HR, were already kind of pipelining candidates and figuring out when we do get this award, how are we going to execute on it? Now, it's it's really sad when those awards don't come because there's a lot of work that's done that, that kind of goes to waste, but it's good. It's good preparation. It's good sort of muscle memory to keep that going. So that's, that's you know, how we've been, and we've been very, very process-oriented over the last um, several years. In terms of my vision over the next five years, I mean, you know, um, we want to get to 100 million by 2022. Now, um, I think that that's very feasible. I think that 2020 had a little bit, even though we had a growing year, um, you know, you know, acquisitions within the federal government, everything kind of moved to the right with the administration change. Now we're seeing things open up, but um, my vision is to grow and diversify our accounts. But, you know, I, I say that not because I want to grow from a revenue standpoint. I mean, obviously I do, we're a for-profit company. For me, it's about creating opportunity within Paradigm, right? So when we hire people, I'd love to say that I want those people to be here for the rest of you know, their, their professional lives. I know that's a very idealistic view, but imagine you were on a project and you got sick of that project and, and you could go to your manager and say, hey, I want to try something different. And we had... 17 different projects that we can put you on. So it's like working for another company, but you're still within the paradigm umbrella. So I just look at it as every every person that joins our company, they're making a choice, right? They're making a choice to come, you know, fly with paradigm management. And it's my job to make sure that they personally and professionally develop while they are, while their tenure at paradigm is, is there. So, so really when you talk about vision and goals, of course it's to grow, but it's really to ensure that the people working at Paradigm professionally and personally grow themselves as well. At, um, I know that about two years ago, you brought some of your staff over to the Meditation Museum. And again, it spoke volumes about how much you care about the emotional well-being of your staff. And it continues in everything that you've said in our conversation today, that it's about the people. It's about the people. So what if in 2022, the company goes to 100 million, everyone's miserable. I won't be happy. Right. It won't be ha happiness for you. So we've talked about leadership in growing your company and your business and in the corporate sector. But what about leadership at home? How are you doing on that front? <laughs> you know, the best advice somebody gave me is uh, don't ever treat your family like they're your employees. And, and you know, sometimes you get into that project management mode um, where where you start to do that. And, and as you know, Mira uh, will very, very quickly shut that shut that part of me down. Um, I have to say, you know, the relationship that I have with Mira um, is very collaborative. We make decisions collaboratively. We handle the household collaboratively. We parent collaboratively. Um, and that I like that, right? Because it is a partnership, a true 50-50 partnership. I mean, she has wonderful strengths that she brings to the table and I have strengths that I bring to the table. And it's, you know, we're, we're gonna celebrate eight years of being together in March and seven years of being married in June. And we're just now coming to that point where like we really, really recognize what each other's strengths are. And when you can play off of that, it, it creates a wonderful ability to be like, hey, we got we got anything that comes our way because we can handle this, right? Based on my experience. 
In terms of um, the kids, now, you know, size five and Bobby is three, I cannot help but tell you that I want them to be little leaders, right? So in any which way that I can, I'm always kind of trying to share uh, bits of wisdom with them uh, in, in little doses, right? Obviously, as a five and a three-year-old, you don't want to overwhelm them. But my biggest my biggest lesson to Sai um, has been, what do we do when we fall down? We get back up. And, and you know, that has come into play. You know, I'm, I'm teaching him how to ski. I taught him how to ride a bike. Um, we, we just, I taught him how to play checkers. And, and I, I, I've been letting him win, but I finally, like, beat him truthfully and he started crying and i'm like failure is good losing is good you need to lose in order to learn you know what you did wrong and to be better next time so those little little um tidbits of of uh, of, of opportunities that i get i'm trying to push on to to the kids i mean again without overwhelming them so wonderful um <laughs> you're such a dad <laughs> get up get up from there <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. I'll tell you why I think it's perfect is that so many parents don't get a chance to spend that quality time with their children anymore. And they think spending time with their children is just maybe them sitting in front of a, a, a screen watching a movie together and making popcorn. And you're saying, no, we're out together. We're learning how to ski. We're learning how to ride a bike. We're talking about successes and failures. We're learning about playing chess. And if you lose and you're crying, it's okay. This is a, These are things that he will remember forever. Yeah. And so congratulations for that. Now, you and I um, know our Indian heritage, and you've been raised in, in the U.S. And so your parents, maybe, I don't know if your parents sees the way that you and Mira have been kind of parenting, but also being as a couple. But when I go back to my days of my father or my father's parents, my grandparents, they don't parent like the way you and Mira are parenting. It's uh, it's just like, you know, the, the husband is the God. And um, that's changed, especially in this generation. Can you speak a little bit to that, especially when um, you talk to mothers and they'll be like, oh, we didn't need any personal time or me time, you know, they would be like, there is no such thing as me time. And yet in this generation, it is important to have me time. How do you see it being so, it's so different now um, in terms of the old way of parenting. Do you think it's better or do you think it's it's learning through? Do you think it's developing some, some talents or skills? Because the old school will say, I can't believe they're doing that. Yeah. And then the new school will say, I can't believe you did that to me. <laughs> no, I think they're, Listen, there there are positives of of every of both sides, right? I mean, listen, I'm a product of that old side, um, where yeah, mom and dad weren't like you need me time, and there was no discussion about what was going to happen. It was either yes or no, or this is how you're going to do it. Um, I think the times have changed, right? I think we as parents are much more helicopterish over our kids, whereas you know when we go to a party, my parents did not watch me and make sure that I ate. Now it's like, if our kids don't eat, we go, we go crazy. So I think it's a little bit of like, you, you kind of see what happens around you and then you kind of do almost the same thing. I mean, sports is a, a, is a simple thing. I mean, here in DC where we live, it's like if your kid pre-pandemic was not signed up for like soccer, baseball and, and, and swimming, there was something wrong, right? And then you kind of get that like, oh my God, I need to, I need to do this for my kids. So I think there's a little bit of that. I also think from the standpoint of, 
um, work and, and life, it's just become much more complex. There are a lot more choices. There are a lot more things to do. And as parents, we have to process that and we have to figure out how we're going to navigate through that. And I, I think in the in the old way, the things that were done were very black or white, whereas now it is very collaborative. It is very, hey, let's consensus build and figure out what we need to do. So I, um, you know, my parents, uh, you know, they've spent a lot of time with us, as has Mira's parents. I think that there are things that they're probably like, what are these two doing? But I also think that they see the product, right? They see Sai, they see Mavi, and they're like, okay, like it's a little bit different, but what you guys are doing is working, right? The respect is there. The empathy Empathy is there. The yearning to learn is there. And, and all of those things that we had um, are there with our kids. So I don't think it's it's right or wrong. I just think that just like technology changes, I think that the, the, the things around us change and that just affects the way we operate. What about that? Is it the time that changed us or is it just things that we saw when we were younger? And there's certain things that my parents did and I said, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. And and I wonder what is that moment in time that changes you? I mean, you and Mira are such a perfect couple in just the way that you show up in the world. You're both very individual. You know, you, you have your own identities, but yet there's a consistency in your marriage that I've, not, that I've noticed, and that is you communicate. You communicate. One of the biggest qualities that reveal a great leader is their ability to communicate. Could you speak to that, the importance of communication and why we need to do more of it now? Yeah, so I, I will tell you that both Mira and I, um, you know, we're both divorced, right? So I think that that in, internally in our, in our marriage and just the way we operate, that has been a big, big part of, of, I think why we are the way we are is we've known what has worked in the past and what hasn't. And a lot of that is that communication, right? If you are not open and upfront about your feelings or about what you perceive or about how you feel, then the other person, how are they going to know that? So I, I personally believe that, you know, listen, marriage is work, relationships are work. And I think that when you have two people that want to put in the work and want to sit down and communicate and make time for communication, that's when things start to succeed. I mean, you know, this pandemic, uh, you know, both of us have been uber present with each other. We take time outside of our day to actually look at, you know, what we're thinking, how we're feeling, all of those things that you never did in the past because you're just going, going, going. So that that's, I think, on my personal side. On the, on the company side, I am a very transparent person. And, and I think that people who work for me, with me, they need to know where we are, right? So as hard as it is to write an email saying that we lost the deal, um, you know, winning deals are a lot easier, right? To, to, to get out that announcement. It's really important that my staff and my the people that are part of the Paradigm family know that we didn't win this or we we, we failed at this and, and here's why and here's what we're gonna do to be better. So I, I think um, I think communication to me, I would much rather over communicate um, and, and that's what I've done and it's, it's, it's proved to work very, very well because you gain trust that way, right? You want people to work with you, even friendships, because they trust you, not because you're 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 known for hiding things or or kind of playing a manipulative game. And and I think you know sometimes, listen, I probably over communicate or I just share way too much. But I I think that's that's what it is. I mean, I had a 
a town hall that I do with each program. And I had one yesterday and my divorce came up, right? And I openly shared it. We had a couple of new folks that I'd never met. I'm meeting them on the Brady Bunch boxes of, of Zoom. And uh, the comment that I got from my chief administrative officer, who you've met, Jocelyn, she's like, wow, people said you got really, really personal and they loved seeing that side of you. And I'm like, I didn't do that on purpose. I, I just, that's just me, right? And I, I think that that shows a human side of, of, of me where people that don't know me are like, okay, here's the CEO, but there is that father or that husband or that friend or that person that likes to go out and party a little bit. I mean, whatever that is, there's a humanistic view to it. And I think it all stems from communication thing because in Indian Indian culture we tend to not and I'm not saying this as a stereotype but there is a sense of not always being very transparent um, there's always like well you know and you're trying to discern well what did you mean did you mean a yes or did you mean a no I don't know how to understand what you want and it's a big shift from India when you come to America and people want transparency they want you to be straight up they want you to be honest so that life can move on why do you think there is this culture in India and I'm not saying it's just India it's all over the world but it's very very prevalent there where you don't really show everything and if I mean, what if you were to give them advice, what would be the advice that you would offer to those back home in India who don't always use the transparent path? The advice that I would give is um, try it. You will be surprised at the lack of judgment that people will pass and the empathy that people will show if you are just yourself. Um, that's the advice that I would give because I, I think, and even with my parents, friends, you know, my, my mom and dad will be like, Hey, we're booking a trip to India, but we're not telling anybody. And it's like, why? Like, what is, what's the use of doing that? Right. One of their friends, their very close friends had cancer and, and, you know, she, she got through it, but like nobody knew and nobody was supposed to know. And, and so it's things like that. And I think people are just afraid of judgment, right? People are so, um, they, they, they want to put up a, a wall so that, you know, nobody will judge them. But here's the bottom line. Nobody's perfect. No relationship is perfect. No company is perfect. Everybody has their Achilles heel. Everybody has chinks in their armor. And, and for me, I'm a better person because of those, those failures, those chinks in my armor. Um, but I don't think everybody sees that. You know, just a, a little plug here, the, the organization that you mentioned, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, it is a non-judgment organization. So I can come to the table and say, you know what? I made a mistake. I, I, I lost X amount of millions of dollars, or I, I did this, or I had a DUI or whatever it may be. And there's no judgment. And to be able to do that with another business owner and, and share personal family, or even professionally that you've messed up. It, it's such a, it's, it's like group therapy, right? It, you're able to share something without feeling like that person is going to walk away thinking of me being less because I, X, Y, Z, you know? Um, and I think there were, I, I wish there were more people that did that, right? Because even those relationships that I have outside of that, my partners included with the company, I mean, there's always judgment as to like, oh yeah, that person did that. And 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 I, for one, like to tell myself that I do not judge. And, and of course we all have judgment in us, but um, yeah, I, I would say that, yeah. 
that because that's one of the things about us that we love each other for very much, you, me, and Mira, is that you've seen how we always show up very open and we're very transparent and not trying to be the that we are. We're like here, you know, we're on the journey together. And I think that's what the world needs now are just people who are just open and honest and vulnerable enough to say, can we do this together? Can we walk together? You know, I did mess up. I'm not perfect, but I, I will become that at some point in time. And that's, to me, one of the greatest forms of leadership is to show your authentic, real self and to be very, very present. And in India, they have so many gurus and so many people that are showing you what they want you to see. And then you get stifled being the real you because you're like, well, I can't show them that side of me because of this or because of that. But in all reality, you're like, no, but this is me, you know, and isn't that okay with you? But I found that sometimes people just want an illusion in front of them. It's like they're so conditioned to see illusion that that's what they want to invest in. And when you're being really authentic or really real and really honest, they don't even know how to deal with you at times. You know, because they're like, well, you're not supposed to be like that. You know, you're the boss. You know, come on, hold your place. And I'm like, but I am. This is me. Right. It's very important. So listen, I'm going to take you through a wonderful spiritual rapid fire. You ready? Yeah. And I have enjoyed every minute of our time together. So let me see what's in the soul of Viraj Gandhi. Okay. God or religion, which one would you choose first? Religion. Hmm. Beach or the forest? Forest. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Mm. <laughs> a movie or a book? A movie. Um, dancing or singing? Singing. Not very good, but singing. <laughs> Meditation or being in a temple? Being in a temple. Who is Viraj Gandhi? Somebody who is uh, loving, caring, uh, wanting to pay it forward, and is, uh, is, is just looking for his next challenge. That's just perfect. That's all I needed. Thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight for Thank joining you. us on Where East Meets West. And to be continued, Viraj, all the great, great things are in your future. I can see it. Thank you, Sister Jenna. This was wonderful. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on Where East Meets West. We just had a wonderful heart-to-heart conversation with CEO of Paradigm Management, Viraj Gandhi, right here in the nation's capital in Washington, D.C. If you want some more information, please go and visit him on his website or his LinkedIn page. Drop us a VM or a message to let us know what you felt about today's conversation. And if you have any questions, feel free to raise them. All the very best. Remember, no one can take where you happiness unless you give them permission and we really are here to love each other the same take care and thank you for joining us